In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the warrior priest, how to become one of God's chosen knights, and how the Bible is one of the greatest knight's tales ever written. You have two newly created humans in perfect communion with their God, walking in the cool of the day in, in a perfect garden. Everything is great. Then comes a dragon. This dragon came in and destroyed the peace, destroyed the harmony. Then a prophecy is given of a conquering king who would come back and rescue his bride, the church, from the clutches of this dragon. Did you know you can now stream episodes of this podcast on your mobile device? All you need is my new Conspiracy Unlimited app. It's absolutely free, and it's available for both iOS and Android devices. If you're a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member, pay attention. You can now stream premium content from your mobile device my free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS and Android, available from the App Store and Google Play. Get yours today and start streaming Conspiracy Unlimited on your mobile device. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. 
Welcome to your Wednesday, and I hope you and yours are healthy and happy. Through the ages, there have been few heroes as adored as the medieval knight. With a prayer in his heart and a sword in his hand, it's easy to see why this ultimate warrior priest has stood the test of time. Drew Graffia is here to reveal how many of our biblical heroes were in fact warrior priests, how Christ was the ultimate dragon slayer. He'll also discuss God's code of chivalry when using self-defense. Drew is a former Medieval Times dinner and tournament knight. He's an avid researcher and host of The Radical Christian on the Daily Renegade platform and the author of The Warrior Priest Mindset. Hey, Drew, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, brother. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Let me ask you right out front, why Why did you identify or why have you identified with knights your, your whole life, particularly from an early age? What was it? I think most men have have this, you know, internal quest embedded in us. You know, you want to rescue the princess, you want to defeat the dragon. I think that's just part of being a man. And for some of us, these things can can be expressed in different ways. So when I saw the knight as a young kid, I thought, man, that's that's the guy to be. That's the hero. That's the rescuer. That's the protector. And that eventually led to me applying for a job at Medieval Times in Buena Park, California as a knight. Right. And do you think that now looking back, there was some divine providence there that led you to become a performer in Medieval Times? Because that kind of set the course for this book, I guess. I definitely believe there was. I think I think that we each have, you know, a a, pers- a specific set of personality traits given to us to kind of guide us along that, you know, if we're in the will of God, we'll, we'll uncover what those will lead to. And if not, sometimes they get squandered, which is a shame. But I definitely believe that some of that was put into me. And I could see along my path through medieval times and, you know, even me messing up and, and just getting into trouble, different situations, the the overarching theme of me staying embedded in this night type of mindset never faded. And for those who've never attended the medieval uh, tournament dinner or medieval times, and there there may be a few out there, uh, explain w- what what happens. Well, you go in there and you enter in and everybody's dressed in medieval period clothing. And then you, you walk into a, a castle, basically a literal castle. And then when it comes time for the show, you go down and you go into an arena and down in the bottom of the arena is a, a big giant sand field, basically. And that was where me and my friends would ride out on horses. We would joust, we would sword fight, and we would even have speaking roles acting out as, you know, the, the wicked North man or other roles, depending on which show we were doing at that time. So you basically came and saw a show and we interact with the crowd and it would be this big production with real weapons, real swords and real horses. And the, the idea of the warrior priest, the knight as warrior priest, was that the case in, in medieval times? We think of uh, we think of the Knights Templar. We think of the Crusaders, certainly. Uh, we think of knights in service to their king. Uh, there were there were good knights, I'm sure, bad knights. Um, but the idea of the knight as warrior priest, where does that come from? Well, when you think of the stereotypical knight, you think of a a man of faith who is in service to a king. Like you said, you you can't really separate the knight from the faith. 
Now, when it comes to historical knights, the, the knights that I wanted to, to speak about and the idea of where I got it from comes from more the the stereotypical depiction. But when you think of historical knights like the Crusades and the Templars, obviously you have varying degrees of people's actual faith. You know, some people were under the guise of Christianity doing horrible things. Other people were actually Christians. But, you know, when, when you think of the knight, when you think of the knight from the movies and, and that kind of knight, you, you just picture this this unwavering, heroic warrior who is also a man of faith. And now, when I worked at Medieval Times, there was one particular knight who had that backstory. His name was Santiago, and he, he had a black and white tunic with a red cross on it, and he was the warrior priest. So we would each have our introductions um, into the show that announced us before we rode in with our, with our flag on our horse. And his introduction spoke about how, you know, in, in battle, he's faithful. In prayer, he's unwavering. And, and in, in his missions, he's invincible, basically, due to his faith. So that really resonated with me. And as I was becoming a serious Christian, going through my 10 years at Medieval Times, I would, I would portray myself in this role more than the others. And it, and it just grew on me, and I couldn't shake it. Just this, this, this warrior-priest concept was so fascinating. So in the, in the Bible, we have the, uh, the warrior-priest. There are a number of them. Uh, I, I want to start with Joshua who was Moses' general, and um, of course, we're familiar with the, uh, the Battle of Jericho and so forth. Talk to me about, uh, about Joshua as a warrior priest. He seems, more so warrior, he seems more warrior than priest. Yes, he definitely does, because we hear about all his, his wartime exploits, you know, defeating the Nephilim, the, hi- the hybrids, the human, the human angel hybrids, um, but he was, man, he was one of the best depictions of a warrior priest in the Bible. Because, you know, when it comes to being a warrior, obviously he was, he, he was unmatched. He didn't get defeated in battle. He, there were some defeats, but overall he, he didn't die in battle. He was a selfless leader, so he led by example. You know, there's even verses where he spent the night uh, before battle among his men instead of in his own quarters. You know, he had a definite calling and purpose on his life. Now, when you think of him being a priest, which... When you when you really look at the text, it, it it can start to pop out to you when you read it, having this warrior priest concept in mind. You know, you see that he was holy and reverent for God. And there's this instance before he became the leader of Israel, where Moses was in the tent of meeting, meeting face to face with the presence of God. And it says Joshua was there too, and it says that he stayed longer after Moses. So to me, some people say that he was guarding the tent, but I don't know why you would guard an empty tent, which leads me to believe that he was in the presence of the Lord longer than Moses. Now, when it comes to him displaying faith, which is what a priest does, you know, he was willing to bring back a good report of these these Nephilim clans back to Moses saying, we could take these guys, we can, we can handle them, the Lord will deliver them into our hands. When everyone else was saying, no, no, these, you know, these, this is a land of giants that will eat their people, you know, whereas grasshoppers in the sight, but he was a man of faith. That's his, his priest side, you know? And uh, other other heroes from the Bible that that fit the the mold of the of the warrior priest. Uh, obviously, uh, a young shepherd boy, David, comes to mind. Talk to me about David. Yes. Now, David, he is known as the warrior king. So he so when it comes to exhibiting traits of the warrior or the priest or the, even the lion and the lamb, people will have varying degrees of either side. But it's it's my contention that you you need to have a little bit of both side at least. You need to walk in both ways. So when it comes to David. 
he was a man of war and the Lord is a man of war as well. He, he had his softer side, you know, he wrote music and his music was actually used to exercise a demon from King Saul. But David was a conqueror. He was, it was his job to, to take up where Joshua left off and wipe out the remaining Nephilim. It was, it was his job to kind of wrap that whole chapter up. And he just, he, man, you think of him, he is the ultimate hero when it comes to just thinking of a warrior. But then when you think of him as a priest, the, the Lord referred to him as a man after my own heart. Now, David committed many sins. He committed murder, adultery, all kinds of things. But one thing he never did was commit idolatry in the form of another god. He never worshipped another god. He always stayed faithful to his god. You look at all the Psalms, that is just a priest over and over again, him talking directly to God, him saying, you've saved me. You know, you, you, you make my path straight before me. You know, you stop all my enemies. So he exhibited both sides. And I think it's crucial that, that we all have both sides. We can't neglect one or have a tainted version of one like King Saul had. It's interesting though, when we think of uh, knights, so we think of armor, we think of helmets and, and shields and, and so forth. And yet, if memory serves in the Bible, uh, David refused to wear a helmet. He thought it would slow him down. Talk to me about that. Exactly. So a, a lot of people, they, they neglect the spiritual context of the faith, of our faith in God. You know, you, you re we reject the spiritual context. So you look at the fallen kingdom, they're limited and, and they're finite. So they're, they, they don't have the resources of the infinite God. So when it comes to what they need for battle, you know, they need rituals. They need, you know, uh, brute force in the form of those hybrids, the Nephilim. They need uh, an ex extravagant armor set, and it says King. Uh, it says uh, Goliath's sword is more magnificent than than any other sword. So they need all these physical things. But when it comes to King David, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's not empowered by a lesser force. So if you notice, when David was going to battle, he told Goliath he was going to cut his head off, knowing he didn't bring a sword to battle. He didn't even bring armor. He had the armor of God on spiritual context. He had the armor of God on. He went in, and I believe the Holy Spirit spoke through him and said. I'm going to cut your head off, Goliath, not knowing where he would get a sword from, if he would be able to get the sword from him. And it just shows you how the fallen kingdom stands up against the, the righteous kingdom. It doesn't even hold a candle to it. You say that the, the Bible is the greatest knight's tale ever written. Uh, let's, let's go there. Talk to me about that. That's fascinating. Well, when you think of just from the very beginning, you know, you have a, a, a fairy tale-esque setting. You have two newly created humans in perfect communion with their God, walking, you know, in the cool of the day in, in a perfect garden. You know, gr great relationship. Everything is great. And then, it, then comes a, a dragon, a spiritual being who's described as a serpent. But when you look into the, the meaning of that word, it means three different things. It means... Um, you know, one of them is a, div a divining being, a being who uses divination. One of them means a shining one, which denotes divinity as well. Not, not as well, but divinity and divination, which is a practice of communicating with divine beings. And it, you basically, when you study this word, you find out this is a serpentine being. This is a, this is a what would, you would call a small g god. This is one of God's sons. Now, this was a rebellious son. He came in, this dragon came in and destroyed the peace, destroyed the harmony. Then a prophecy is given of a conquering king who would come back and rescue his bride, the church, from the clutches of this dragon and how death had entered the world. You know, another, another villain has entered onto the scene. And so you, you, you track with this the whole way through the Bible. Then you see, you know, the judges, 
these are like the elite strike force that the core group of knights sent to protect over Israel. And they're all, you know, fallen or not fallen, but they, they all are imperfect beings. So nobody can really fulfill this prophecy until Jesus comes, the suffering servant and the conquering king. So they have all these prophecies about this, this coming king, this, the, the ultimate knight, the ultimate warrior priest. But then when he shows up, he dies. The, a huge twist, you know, he dies. It's, so it's this giant tail weaving through the entire Bible. And even the armor of God is armor. It's depicted as armor. You know, you have a sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. All of these things fit within the knight's context. You know, and I believe that's one of the reasons why people love fantasy material so much. You know, that there is a form of escapism in it. But I think it's more closer to reality than, than our everyday life. Because you look at the Bible and it matches more towards a fantasy story than it does to our everyday life. And I think that's because that's the way things are. Right. There, there seems to be an innate yearning for epic mission in all of our lives. There totally does, yes. And it's, you know, we, and that doesn't mean that, that you have to have this great purpose over your life. Because a lot of the things that we're told to do as a believer is to imitate Christ, to be like Christ. And how do you do that? He tells you, love people and love him. So us doing that, conforming to our king's image, it pulls us away from these lying, hyperdimensional beings who want us to look like them, who want to pull us away. You know, they want to have their own kingdom. They want to ignore God, have their own kingdom. Some of them want to just tear his down, and some want to do both. But the thing is, you are fighting in a spiritual war by doing your, your good works daily. You're, 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 you go to your job at the local grocery store and you're doing it to the best of your ability in your mind trying to honor God, you are building back into the kingdom. You're representing him well. So when people see you, they know which kingdom they want to align themselves with. Do I align myself with this other person who works with me who's a liar, a deceiver, and who doesn't have anything I want? Or do I align myself with this honest and, and pure person, you know, an imperfect person who tries, who, who I see a hero inside of them? So the title of the book, The Warrior Priest Mindset, let's talk about that. You say there is a, a necessary dichotomy uh, to become one of God's chosen knights. What is that dichotomy? So the, the necessary dichotomy is having both a warrior side and a priest side. Now, another example that, I, that illustrates this perfectly is the angel of the Lord. You know, when you go into a study in the angel of the Lord, the one who actually came to Joshua before the battle of Jericho and said, you know, he basically, are, are you, he, Joshua asked him, who are you? Are you for us or against us? Joshua was ready to fight. You know, he was, he was a, he wasn't a soft Christian. He was ready to go right then and there. And then the angel of the Lord spoke and says, neither I'm for the, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. And it's interesting, right? When Joshua heard that, heard the voice, I think. I think he recognized it from the tent of meeting and he bowed down. But you, you, you get this picture of this w complete warrior, this divine warrior. Moses knew him as a divine warrior, you know, and he showed up at all these pinch points in the Israelites' history to defend them, to help them. He came to announce the birth of Samson, but he's always depicted as a man with a sword drawn in his hand, the text says. So, so he is a warrior. You know that. Then when you find out who he is, he is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Now, how do you think of Jesus? You think of him as the ultimate priest sacrificial, meek, you know, led like a lamb to the slaughter. So we are ultimately to model ourselves after him. But when you look at Jesus, you're seeing the priest side 
a lot of people forget that he what he is the angel of the Lord before he showed up as Jesus, you know, in the body of a man on earth. So he had both of those sides. And and we need to have both of those sides. That is the core of the warrior priest mindset, the mindset that he has enacting both of those roles. Do you think we and you also use the dichotomy of the of the uh, the lion and the lamb, uh, the, the lamb being the the suffering servant, the the lion being the I guess the uh, the warrior, uh, yes. the the conquering king. Do you think that we, uh, as Christians, we overemphasize the lamb, the suffering servant, at the expense of the conquering king, the lion? I, I think yes. I think you can get both. You can get people that, you know, like a man leading his house with an iron fist instead of with, you know, an open hand. Like, like that would be like a counterfeit version of, of leading like a lion, the counterfeit lion. But when it comes to the lamb, you get these these Christians who will, you know, in, under the guise of meekness or under the guise of, of being spiritual or holy, they exhibit weakness. They use it as a crutch to not speak up for what needs to be spoken up for. You know, let's say topics like, you know, sex trafficking. That's not a comfortable topic to talk about. But instead of taking a stance on it or trying to do their part in the fight, you know, or at least donating people who do stand for that kind of thing, they don't talk about it. They don't post about it. They, they, they you know, yeah, I'll pray. But they're, they're weak. They're spineless. But it's under the guise of, yeah, you know, I just don't. I just, we should, we should love our neighbor. You know, loving your neighbor sometimes includes taking up the sword against evil. And I think we need to we need to know when the time to stand is and when the time for restraint is. More of my conversation with Drew Graffia when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. There's never been a more important time to focus on our physical well-being, build up our natural immune system, and take control of our health. That's why the mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 Evo every morning. ESS-60 is the consumable form of carbon-60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is the purest form of ESS-60 on the market. They produce the formula of ESS-60 that was used in a landmark animal longevity study in Paris, where rats that were fed ESS-60 lived twice their natural lifespans, twice. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. It's truly a mega antioxidant. How does it make me feel? Well, I'm 56 years old and I'm pain-free. Pain-free. My energy levels are through the roof and I sleep like a baby. The mighty Aphrodite is noticing the exact same benefits. ESS-60 delivers better health, mental clarity, and immune support. Experience the benefits for yourself. To order, go to the notes for this episode and click on the C60 Evo link. Save 5% on your order by entering the code RS1SPEC. RS1SPEC. And if you order based on a monthly refill, you'll save even more. Get your bottle of this miracle molecule ESS60 today from C60 Evo. And again, Go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the C60 Evo link. Then enter the code RS1SPEC to start saving. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your health care provider. 
another reality. Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was, good, good, a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Durgraphia is here, the author of The Warrior Priest Mindset. So what is the difference between meekness and weakness? So weakness is the ability is lacking the ability. Now now there's people who may be weak in certain areas and that's not a slight against them, but in the context that we're talking about, um, there's weakness to where it's a lack of something. You are deficient in an area. But when it comes to meekness, like Jesus was meek, he was not lacking in any part of his strength, ability, power, anything. He had restraint. So I like to describe meekness as strength restrained. You know, you have the ability to to destroy these people. Je- Jesus had the ability to stop the whole cross scene, you know, but he didn't. That was his plan all along. He had the ability and he had the right to just annihilate people when they came up to him and they were trying to refute him and refute the things he was saying. He could have shut them down with such power and aggression. He could have just made them not exist. He could have killed them on the spot, but he didn't. He, he knew when to restrain it. So there is a difference between us restraining, you know, a lot of what we're able to do and what we can do, restraining it in the name of God, in the name of, of brotherly love. And then there's a difference between being weak and calling it restraint, which is not what he desires. Well, he, he came first, I guess, as the suffering servant. Um, and then when he returns, he'll be the the warrior king. But there were there are also elements of the warrior king when he when he first came, were were there not? Because I'm thinking of a a, a line where he talks about where he talks to his disciples uh, um, about you know pick up a sword if you don't have one, sell your robe and and buy a sword, something to that effect. Is was that Jesus as the warrior? I I believe yes, you can say that. You know, there that's a hotly debated section of scripture, but I believe that does have a defense, a self-defense connotation. You know, turn the other cheek doesn't mean let someone ravage your family. You know, it means don't fight for pride. Don't fight for your own causes, but that does not mean do not protect the weak. Do not protect those who are being harmed. You know, that we, if anything, somebody with somebody with uh, the Holy Spirit inside of them is in the perfect position to defend something or to protect something because they have an access to a power source that's unlimited, you know, but that, that, that perfectly depicts the balance. Cause even though he was here as a predominantly in a priestly role, it seems like when he showed up as Jesus of Nazareth, there's still the balance he had of, of warrior moments mixed in there. Right. And he's today, he, he is often, uh, I think misidentified as a pacifist. Jesus was a pacifist. He, some might might even go so far to suggest he was a socialist. But but speak to me or dis- disabuse us of the notion, if you will, that Jesus was a pacifist. Well, we know Jesus is God, and we know Exodus says that the Lord is a man of war. A uh, man of war is is not a pacifist. You look at the angel of the Lord destroying 185 soldiers, Assyrian soldiers, in one night. That's not the action of a pacifist. You look at him showing up before battle with Joshua. You look at him, you know, in all these different moments. The, this is not a man who is afraid to do what needs to be done, you know, righteously. So you look at, you know, 
it, it just you just can't say that. When it comes to socialism, you know, there's verses in Acts that say all of the apostles willingly gave their their stuff to help those in need. It didn't say they were forced. It didn't say that that was mandated over everybody. You know, people people like to just read whatever cultural hot topic is of the day into the text when it tells you right there who he was, consistent from beginning to end. There may be times where he did something a little more reserved than others, but but this is not a man who who skirts away from having to deal deal in, in, in distributing death to certain people who deserve it. Uh, when we think of knights, we think of chivalry. And uh, you say that there is, uh, God has a code uh, of chivalry when it comes to self-defense. Talk to me about that. So you, when it comes to self-defense, you have basically two words used for the killing of a human being. You have one word that's used for murder, which is an unrighteous uh, act. And then you have another word that's used for killing in a war context. Now, like Joshua, we keep going back to him. He was told to go out and make war. Now, granted, a lot of the tribes he was fighting were Nephilim, were, were Nephilim hybrids. They were non-human beings who basically are, are uh, like beasts before the Lord, even less than that. But also with them were the people who were mixed in with them. You know, he, he, did, he even praised, you know, David for some of his war exploits. So there's a difference between self-defense and murder. Now, when it comes to murder, that is completely forbidden. You don't take somebody's life just just because, or just be in a moment of anger, in a moment of pride. That's strictly forbidden. But when it comes to defense, I believe we are permitted to defend ourselves. And does that mean you should take any chance you get and just you know wield the sword carelessly, so to speak? No, not at all. I think that is a very, very, very last resort. But the way I feel, if somebody was was visibly trying to harm my wife. I would do whatever I needed to stop that from happening. And if, unfortunately, if that led to them dying, you know, I'm sure I would be upset that it got to that point. But I also, you know, I would not let my, my wife see harm that way. Uh, you, you write about the mysterious order of the tinkling symbol. What, pray tell, is the, the order of the tinkling symbol, Drew? Now, this is a, is a basically an order of people that I became aware of at over the last couple years, you know, and I've always known about them, but but it really came clear with a certain uh, sect of people I was around that I was I was able to to see how they operated, and these are people who, similar to the the false sheep earlier that we talked about, you know, disguising their weakness as meekness. I would say this is the wolf. So a destructive version of a sheep, basically a wolf in sheep's clothing. So these are people who they have all the trappings of religion. They can give you all the verses. They can they they know all about the feasts of God. They know all about all these things, even esoteric things. But then they have no love. And we know the verse, you know, if you do all things, if you speak in the tongues of angels, if you do all these great things but have not love, you're like a tinkling cymbal, a sounding gong. So you're just an annoying noise, a loud noise. And that's basically what these people are, that you, any sort of person who professes the name of God and, and doesn't have love is just taking up space. They're just, they're just a loud noise annoying everybody. You know? the, they're the tares. They're the, the tares in, in the, the parables yes. from Matthew. 
Exactly. And it's a shame. And, and you know, we all have our moments where we act not in love or we even struggle with love. But the thing is to, to have that be your defining factor or to, to be okay with that, to sit in that and not, not actively strive to change that every day with, before the Lord. It's, it's like, what are you doing? You're missing the entire point. You know, when the commandments are summed up, it's like I said, it's love, love your neighbor and love God. And if those are both love, if you don't have love, you have nothing. Uh, and that's, I guess, part of what you're talking about when you're you're writing about how we are acting as counterfeit crusaders instead of warrior priests. How else do we found, or how else do we act as counterfeit crusaders instead of warrior priests? I think a good a good way to see that is in the home. You know, the perfect example is if if you're a man, you are the leader of the home. It, it with leading comes a responsibility. A lot of people think leadership means you get the best of the best but it actually like many things in the kingdom of god it means the opposite it means you the only thing you get is the ability to sacrifice more so you should get the almost the worst of the worst and let your people your wife your children get the best of the best namely your wife you know so i think a lot of people when they go to lead their families or lead their their wives spiritually lead them they, they can take things by force or aggressively deal with them or say, nope, you know, I'm the head of the house, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that's not, that's not how Jesus led. He led with love first. He told people the truth, but he led with love. You know, he, he let people make mistakes. He, he, he wasn't this, this um, he was, he's going to be a conquering king when he comes back. That's to conquer evil. But when dealing with his church, he, he just gave them a million chances over and over and over. You think of the Israelites complaining all the way through the sojourn in the Exodus. You think of just what he's dealt with. It's the equivalent of having an adulterous uh, spouse over and over again, spiritually cheating on you, going to other gods, ignoring you, all this stuff. He was patient with them. He was kind. He, he gives them everything. And that's how we're to lead. But then you can get these, these guys who come in thinking that leadership means just this power to wield over whoever. And it really destroys homes. And it really it destroys your walk with God. So the warrior priest mindset is also a bit of a kind of a how-to guide, how to become a warrior priest. Uh, so give us a few more uh, examples how we can all become warrior priests. Well, a, a lot of people think that, you know, your Christian life has to have this mountaintop moment where God comes down to you with a, with a list of things. This is your purpose. You're going to do the greatest of great things. You're going to you're going to speak to people globally. You're going to do, they think it's, it's, it's either that or you're just a bad Christian. And I would say that's, that's a warped view. That may be in the cards for you. That may be what, what he decides. But you have a chance every single day to do one of our main purposes, which is to act like Christ. You have a chance every single day to do that with your own family, with the people at your workplace. And some people may think that sounds basic. But it's not because you have two opposing kingdoms. You have a king who says, I made you to be like me, to image me, to be my imager. I made you to walk how I walk, do what I would do in the earthly realm. And you have these fallen beings who want the same thing. They want you to be like them, to do things that they want you to do. Not even be like them. They want you to be lesser than them. Now, when you are acting like Christ in your home, on the little things, when you're acting like Christ at your workplace, some people may downplay that. But you are a mini Jesus right there. You are another troop on the battlefield. 
you're, there's another piece on the board when you're doing that. And this is like L.A. Marzulli talks about. This is a cosmic chess match. And we need as many people on the board as possible. As many, as many filled with God's people. Because we can tap into his power source. His spirit lives in us. The fallen realm, they're very limited. They're, they, don't have every, they don't have their version of their spirit living in every single fallen person. They don't. But if you're a believer, by default, you do have that. So I think you start at home, and from there, things build and build and build. And then if God does call you to that mountaintop moment, if that's, what, that's what's up for you, then, then good. You're ready. You, you've stayed faithful in the little things like David did. Well, we think of knights as being brave, but but uh, and you write in in the book that that cowardice is a sin. Um, how do, how does someone overcome not necessarily cowardice, but just how does he overcome fear in order to be brave in those moments when it truly counts? Well, like I said, you start with the little things. So when you think of fear, what it, what it is. It's, it's somebody looking at a circumstance and, and feeling uncertain about the outcome or feeling anxious about the outcome, fearful, feeling fearful about the outcome. Now, what that does is it, it basically removes God from the equation. So instead of having your faith in him, you're now examining the circumstances and using your limited human brain to decide, oh, this is how this is going to play out. And then that gives you fear. So when you think of living from the Lord's perspective, you think, okay, I don't, the circumstances do not matter to me because I've seen time and time again that, that they don't matter to the Lord, really. They're just a chance for more glory. So almost when the deck is stacked against you is when you can almost count on a breakthrough the most. But you just think, okay, I don't know how he's going to do this, but I've, I'm going to put my faith completely in him. Now, sometimes that doesn't even happen for people until they hit the rock bottom. But I just, when you think of these people, like when you think of COVID and everything, people living in fear, it's like, that that'll destroy you every single day that's eating at you. you you need to you need to go have a relationship with god speak to him and say hey i do not want to get sick i, I don't want my family to get sick but i'm asking for your divine protection i know that that this is what you've done for your people throughout history please do the same for me and help me to just leave this with you and walk forward in my life then you go and you just you just keep doing your day to day you don't sit there and dwell on stuff that you couldn't control even if, even if you know, you tried. You can't change your hair on your head. You can't change, add a day to your life. So why would you be able to look at all these circumstances? Well, and part of that is the media because you see something terrible happening in every state and every country every day at any given moment. You can turn on the TV or internet and just see all these horrible things. So it's these consequences weighing on people all the time when we're not supposed to carry that burden, you know? So I think fear is something that needs to be eliminated. The only thing you need to have is fear of the Lord. Fear like an awestruck reverence for your creator, who is the real person you need to go to, who is the real circumstance you need to contend with. If there were ever a time where warrior priests are needed in great number, it would seem that that time is now. You mentioned COVID. We have uh, civil strife in the streets, great divisiveness in the land. Um, fear, panic, anger, uh, spiritual warfare, I guess, really. So mm -hmm. how specifically do you think a warrior priest should be 
preparing for these times and responding to the challenges of these times? I think you need to have your priorities straight. So, you know, when you, when you know your eternity is secured, you know, if, if you know when I die, I will stand before the Lord and I will be accepted in heaven because I am born again Christian. I have faith in God. I know that that's going to happen. Then some of, some of death loses its power over you. Loses, it, it loses its sting over you, just like the verse says, because you know, okay, so worst case scenario, I'm, putting into the, I'm being put into the position where I meet my creator, which I know is, is going to be a welcoming party. So when you get that step kind of in your head, then you think about, okay, so if I'm in the spiritual war, what can I do to do my part? You just do the daily stuff you're supposed to be doing, you, treating people right, you know, standing up for, for the, the faith when you need to. And in these times, there's many moments to stand up for. It doesn't mean argue with people online. That's like the weakest thing you could do is just go on the internet and, and spout off a bunch of garbage, basically. But you have things you could be doing. You could be consoling other people, spreading the gospel, talking about God, having a cheerful heart. So when they see you, they're confused. They think, why is this person, why is this person not scared? How is this person posting stuff like, you know, happy pictures with their family? How are they not in fear? And then they look, at, they look deeper into who you are and they know, okay, this person's a Christian. And I know some of them will think maybe that's the answer. You know, the enemy blinds the eyes of people who don't believe, but God can open eyes. So you, you just, you, you live like you're supposed to live and you ignore the fact that this COVID thing is, 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 you know, being talked about everywhere you look, every outlet. You ignore the fact that all these things are happening. You just do what you got to do. It's... It sounds so simple, but that's what keeps you grounded. The warrior-priest mindset, a necessary dichotomy for God's chosen knights. True, how do we get a copy? You can get a copy from going to skywatchtvstore.com or amazon.com. True, a great pleasure. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be on your show. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few words about an upcoming episode. Time once again to say hello to Colleen Forgus, our nutritional therapist and the manager at Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Colleen, hello once again. How are you doing? Howdy, Richard. I'm doing great. Terrific. You know, as we get older, one of the first things that goes is our memory. Do you have anything at the Full Script Dispensary to help boost our memory? I do. It's actually called Brain Memory. It's by Douglas Labs. And this product is designed to support a healthy brain function by improving our production of acetylcholine, which helps to make sure that we have a sharp and um, good memory. Acetylcholine? Yeah, that's right. It's one of the main components of keeping our brain sharp. Terrific. Brain memory. All right, Colleen, I'll remember that. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. To get your bottle of brain memory, go to strangeplanet.ca, then click on the full script dispensary button. Remember, all orders receive 10% off, and orders of $50 or more ship absolutely free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time, highly respected biblical scholar Dr. Michael Heiser provides in-depth analysis of the Book of Enoch. What does it really say about fallen angels and Nephilim? Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. 
Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 